Hey guys, happy Thursday. Welcome to another episode of Your Pocket Sailing Instructor. I'm Penny and I will be your host today. I am sorry about last week and not putting out an episode. Uh, my parents came out to visit, haven't seen them thanks to COVID. So we did some visiting and lots of catching up and touring around and exploring and hiking and everything. So uh, I just ran out of time and decided to prioritize family for last week. So I'm back at it uh, this week and I'm going to start jumping into a little bit of a series here on boat ownership. So uh, a lot of my students after they complete a course or even sometimes before they complete a course, uh, they have purchased a boat or they're interested in purchasing a boat. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about what you should look for if you are a first time uh, sailboat owner. Very exciting times for you. And uh, yeah, just kind of give you some uh, tips and tricks and ideas on what to look for. Hey there, and welcome to your pocket sailing instructor. I'm Penny Caldwell, and I have been a sailing coach for over 25 years now. I'm here to help you reach your sailing goals, whether you're looking for gear reviews, safety tips, or just some fun sailing stories. This podcast will have it all. Your pocket sailing instructor is an educational and fun podcast about all things sailing. I plan on releasing weekly episodes every Thursday to help you end off your week on a high note. So grab your coffee and join me for your weekly dose of all things sailing. So as always, uh, head on over to sailnelson.com forward slash podcast uh, to find show notes. And I always add in kind of a little bit of extra information or different information. Sometimes I have a list or whatever links to external things and all that. So uh, definitely make sure that you're checking out those show notes if you are interested in further information about things. And otherwise, we are going to jump right into this. So you are looking for a sailboat. So what are some of the questions that you should be asking yourself and some of the things that you should consider? So the first thing that I would take a look at is what type of sailing are you interested in doing? So are you interested in getting into racing? Are you interested in cruising? Are you interested in kind of boat camping? Um, so depending on the type of sailing that you want to do, that will uh, reflect in the type of boat that you want to get. So some boats, uh, you could try to find that unicorn where you end up with a boat that is good for racing and also has enough cabin space for camping or cruising. But a lot of times uh, a boat kind of won't really have it all. So um, if you are really wanting to get serious about racing, you will probably end up with a little bit of a lower profile boat, a little bit sleeker, probably will not have uh, some of the creature comforts in the cabin, you know, things out in the cockpit like barbecue mounts, might not have a galley, that kind of thing. Um, so you might be sacrifice, sacrificing, I was going to say sacrificing, sacrificing uh, some of those perks to get a faster kind of more race tuned type of boat. Uh, so something to consider there. If you are looking for uh, more of a cruiser kind of boat, then you will most likely have something that is maybe a little bit beamier, a little bit higher, uh, a little bit more headspace down in the cabin. 
uh, something that has berths and cushions and, and galley space, that type of thing. So definitely a boat that is a little more uh, comfortable and spacious and potentially handles a little bit differently because it is uh, a little bit higher. You're going to have potentially more leeway. So it's not going to point as high when you're on a close hauled. Um, and then finally, too, if you are looking for something uh, for boat camping, for instance, you might even consider something that has a retractable keel. Um, so we see that a lot out here in uh, the Kootenays because our lakes tend to be very, very deep or there's hardly any water at all. <laughs> so uh, if you are looking at boat camping and you want to get yourself close to beaches and close to shore, uh, sometimes, you know, we'll go from 40, 50 feet up to about five feet. So uh, that's a consideration as well. That's something that I noticed when I moved out here uh, from the Great Lakes. Back east, we all have, you know, typical boats that have fixed keels. So there's lots of Tanzers and Sharks and O'Days or, or whatever, CS Merlins, that kind of thing. Um, but then when we moved out here, I saw a lot of San Juan 21s, which have the retractable keel. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder why there's so many boats with retractable keels out here. And then I quickly learned that it, a lot of it has to do with the depth that we have and the fact that if you have a retractable keel, you can pull that sucker up and you can get a lot closer to uh, shore for, for anchoring and such. So, so those are some considerations to think about. The very top high level is what type of sailing do you want to do, whether you're racing, cruising, or camping. From there, you're going to want to uh, get into basically what size or length of boat are you interested in um, purchasing. And the reason why you want to look at this, there's kind of a slew of things I'm going to talk about here, but uh, one of the things in particular is crew. So are you going to be looking for crew? Are you going to be hindered in your sailing adventures if you cannot find a crew? So if you end up getting, you know, 28 foot boat, let's say it's your first boat, you've just passed your basic cruising course, you're all excited. Are you going to be comfortable enough to be heading out on that boat by yourself? A lot of people have a hard time finding crew. Um, if you are, um, a couple and there's two of you and you're keen to sail, great. You might not have this issue. Um, or if you've gone in and you're doing a boat share and you've purchased a boat with somebody, again, great. That could work out really well. Uh, but a lot of times I do see a lot of new boat owners who fall in love with sailing. They get themselves a nice, big, comfortable boat only to realize that it's really a little bit difficult for them to maneuver the boat, especially with the docking. That's kind of primarily the, the area where it's nice to have those extra hands. Um, and so then they start to get discouraged. So have a think on the size of the boat. So for me, I have a 27 foot boat. I do take it out by myself, but I have a lot of experience on larger boats and just a lot of experience sailing and maneuvering boats in general. So I have things set up on my boat and ready to go so that when I'm sailing by myself, I'm making life a little bit easier for myself. Um, so I have spare dock lines that I set up kind of temporarily in different places on the boat when I'm coming into the dock because I know how the current and wind affect my boat for my specific slip. Um, I also have lazy jacks that I put out for my mainsail. So when I bring down the mainsail, it flakes itself. 
Um, so there are a few different things that I have on my boat to make it a little bit easier for me to single hand the boat. I definitely would not recommend that size of boat for a new sailor to get and to try and go out and sail on their own with. It can be a little bit to handle. So if you are new to uh, boat ownership and you just completed, you know, your basic cruising course or something like that, your day sailor course, you know, getting into something the 21 to 24 foot range seems to be a pretty good manageable size and you can uh, get a lot of different variety within that size and by variety i mean the type of boat so again race boat cruising camping or also um, the freeboard for the boat can be really different. So that's the distance from the waterline to the deck. So some boats in this particular category have a really high freeboard. Uh, so something to consider if you have really low docks and people are you're trying to climb, uh, you know, in and out or get on and off of the boat. If you have a really big step down onto your dock, that could be tricky. Uh, some boats are much lower, have a, a much lower freeboard, so you might only have a couple feet that you have to think about. Um, so yeah, I've seen quite a few sailors in the area, 21-foot San Juan. They have no problems going out by themselves, whipping around the bay, having a great time. If they have, you know, two or three friends that want to come with them, there's also enough room on a boat that size to have people come out with you. You can have somebody sitting up on the bow. You can have two or three people with you back in the cockpit. The cockpit's quite large. Um, so yeah, just something to consider as far as the length of the boat that you want to get into. The next thing that you're going to want to think about potentially is the handling of the boat. And so for this, this would kind of go along with the type of sailing that you want to do. So if you're going to be racing, you're going to want something that's a nice, um, uh, easy handling type of boat points really high. So I'm thinking something like a J for instance, J 24, a shark, those ones, uh, they tend to respond really well. You're probably going to end up with rudder and tiller steering in this size of vessel. So something to consider there. And also by handling, I'm talking about um, the maneuverability of the boat overall when you are docking, for instance. So, um, you know, again, if you're looking at doing this on your own, what are some of the things that you can set up to make that a little bit easier for you? So I have tiller uh, steering on my 27 foot boat. I have an auto helm that I rarely plug in, but I do have uh, a fancy, fancy bungee cord that I use sometimes to just wrap around the tiller so I can, you know, go manipulate the sail or whatever I need to do quickly. Um, so that's, again, is just something that I have uh, put together, but I have been on various boats where if you let go of the tiller that boat's gone it's not going to hold a straight course or it's got a lot of weather helm it's going to head up and again you can manage that with your sail area but um, some boats are just a little bit touchier than others so that's something to consider if you have a chance before you buy the boat I would definitely suggest go out and have a sail sail around on the boat get a feel for it um, so you can see how it handles, check out all the rigging, all that kind of stuff. I will do a, a separate episode on, uh, what to look for when you're actually purchasing. So I'm going to talk about, um, getting a survey, whether or not you should get a survey and what to look for, uh, prior to purchasing a boat. So I'm going to do a separate episode on that because that's quite a big topic. So for now, we're just trying to narrow down what type of boat that you want to look for. So the next thing that you are going to take a look at before you get 
your boat is what type of sailing will you be doing in your area? So here in Nelson, we're surrounded by mountains. We have a lot of gusts, a lot of squalls, a lot of uh, weather kind of comes around the mountain. We don't have that horizon to look at, so we can't see things coming towards us. A lot of us are checking the radar very often to see literally what's on the other side of the mountain. So we have to be quite quick uh, with our sail changes or furling or whatever you're using, reefing, that kind of thing. So Spindrift, when uh, we brought the boat out from Montreal, had a huge uh, 180 Genoa. So back where Spindrift was originally being sailed, it was definitely evening sailing, very light winds, and a 180 Genoa was basically what was needed to balance the helm and get the boat kind of moving along for, for race night. Um, out here in Nelson, we tend to have stronger winds and we definitely have larger gusts and everything. And I find that the boat sails really well with a 110, 130 type of foresail. Um, so I have a smaller foresail that I use out here and I rarely pull out the big 180. I call her Big Bertha. Um, I rarely pull out Bertha to put her um, up the force day because it's it's just a little bit too unruly. Um, so that's something to consider what type of weather and winds, you know, how far, what kind of distances will you be able to do uh, without maneuvering. So again, we're in a fairly narrow area here on uh, in Nelson where I sail. So there's a lot of tacking, a lot of jibing, a lot of maneuvering going on. Um, so depending on how the boat is laid out, that might also affect uh, your decision on whether or not it's the right boat for you. So that would be your sailing area. And along with the sailing area is, you know, what type of winds or even currents or water fluctuations are you dealing with? So here in Nelson, we're an interior lake, but uh, we have a whole dam system. And basically the lake fluctuates quite significantly um, throughout the season, especially right now, spring, we have the uh, ice and snow melting off of the mountains and coming down. And I would have to double check the numbers with Fortis, but I believe right now that the lake is probably a good 15 feet higher than it normally is. It's quite significant. Um, and sometimes in the winter, the water gets so low that we have areas that completely dry out or we, we manage to find new sandbars and all kinds of fun things that we didn't really realize were there because the water wasn't that low last time we sailed. Um, so, you know, that's a, a consideration. Uh, if you're in a tidal area, what type of currents will you be experiencing? Are you in a narrow spot where you're going to get really strong currents? Um, you know, cause yeah, sailing with currents and stuff can be fun for a little bit, but if you're constantly in an area that has a really strong current, you're not really going to get that sailing experience that you're looking for. I'm assuming, um, because you're kind of fighting the current and you're just not, um, yeah, the handling is just going to be different. So, you know, it is something to consider that if you are living in an area that has narrows and lots of strong current all the time, that might not be a really fun spot for you to sail. You're not going to get the same kind of experience that you would if you were in a wider open water area where there's not as much current on the boat and you can really feel the wind and, and the boat will be, you know, handling along really happily, I guess. <laughs> Um, so after that, you want to have a look at 
what the amenities are in your area. So do you have marinas available to you? What is the wait list like for the marina? Because I guarantee you that 99% of marinas have wait lists. Um, so you want to get on that early. So here in Nelson, I got on the wait list at the marina before I even had a boat. Uh, I knew that I was going to be getting a boat. I didn't know that we were going to ship out Spindrift at the time, but I knew that at some point I was going to get something. So I put my name on the list because it was a three-year waiting list, which is quite short uh, compared to other marinas. I know on the coast uh, around Vancouver, it's, you know, eight to 10 year waiting list. It's completely crazy. And if you purchase a boat from someone who has a marina slip, don't assume that that marina slip is going to come with the boat. Uh, You need to confirm that and and specify that with the seller because a lot of marinas will not let people sell their boat with the slip if the boat changes ownership they lose the slip and the next person on the wait list gets the slip Um, so if you are considering getting a boat and you know which marina you want it to be at and you know that there's a wait list get your name on the wait list now Uh, if you can Um, some marinas might need to know the boat Uh, information right away or if you don't own a boat they might not let you on the list I don't know Uh, but for me that's what I did I put my name on the list um, so that I knew I would have a spot by the time that I got a boat so if you don't have a marina that's going to be available to you then you might be putting the boat out on a mooring pin or you might be uh, you might have your own private dock if you're lucky enough and you have enough water that would be glorious Uh, you might have a combination of both depending on you know the water fluctuation so definitely have a look at what type of uh, mooring situation you're going to end up with for the boat if you are putting the boat out on a pin you're going to want to make sure that that pin has been installed properly whether you do it yourself or you hire somebody uh, you're checking the chain and all of the connections every season so you're going to be diving on your pin to make sure that everything is still holding properly out in the salt water you're definitely going to be checking for corrosion and checking for weak spots with your pin Um, you want to make sure that you have a proper mooring ball installed so you've got your name and phone number on there as well in case anything happens with the boat uh, somebody can contact you and I do that in the marina too I have signs on my boat in case of boat emergency contact Penny with my phone number and everything Um, so that way if something happens and somebody needs to get a hold of me they have that information Um, and then also if you are putting your boat out on a pin you are going to have to think about how you're going to get back and forth to your boat so not only you yourself but your gear your passengers um, you know everything like fuel if you're going to be using um, if you have a little outboard and you're going to be using a can you might have to bring your fuel tank back and forth um, safety gear back and forth food dogs if you're bringing dogs with you that kind of thing and then also where do you keep this dinghy that you're going to be using to go back and forth that can be a real problem for some people if they don't uh, have a a place to store the dinghy Um, so that's something to consider as well Um, another thing that you want to take a look at is what type of local clubs or um, sailing associations are in the area again if you're interested in getting into racing or even if you're interested in expanding your social circle so previously I did an episode all about how to meet other sailors it was one of my first episodes here I'm just trying to pull it up 
Uh, 10 ways to meet other sailors episode six so for episode six you can head back and and have a listen to that one about how to meet other sailors Um, but a great way to expand your sailing circle and to find some crew or even crew on other boats um, is joining kind of a local sailing association uh, a yacht club or or whatever and a lot of marinas and yacht clubs will actually have what they call social memberships so if you're somebody who's not interested in racing or if you're somebody who actually doesn't even own a boat you can just join a club as a crew or as a social member and it's much more affordable much cheaper um, and then you get access to some of the amenities at the club so whether that is you know using the restaurant to buy meals or some of them will have boardrooms and stuff like that that you could even rent out for private uh, functions and stuff like that so uh, so definitely look into a club or you know just kind of what what is the sailing culture in your area. Um, because, you know, again, as much as for me, sailing is kind of getting out there and kind of being on my own and all nice and quiet and stuff, it can be kind of boring and lonely if you're the only boat out there. (laughs) Um, so it is really nice to see other sailboats around. You get to know each other, you know, you wave, you know, when you're on the dock, you start chatting about, Oh, you know, what are you working on today? Oh, I had some wiring I needed to redo. Oh, well, I had a, some wiring last year and I ended up having such and such, you know, so-and-so electrician come out and help me. And it was great. And next thing you know you're networking and you're getting contacts and everything like that so so something to consider and that's also something to consider when you are deciding on where to keep your boat so again talking about marinas and clubs and stuff like that so um and finally two the last thing i'm going to talk about here is the amount of elbow grease that you want to put into your boat so overall a boat will require ongoing maintenance. And this is some another episode that I'm going to be doing coming up here is what type of boat maintenance should you be doing regularly? And then what will be kind of longer term boat maintenance to, to keep an eye on as a boat owner? Um, so I will dive into that more. But, um, you know, depending on how handy you are and how willing you are to learn new things. I've talked about this several times about how I'm a total geek and I like to geek out and learn new things. So for me, um, you know, I will dig into the wiring on the boat and I will go into cramped places to try and rewire something or, you know, I'll switch out a through haul and, or, you know, all kinds of different stuff. So I really, I really enjoy that part of boating. I like tinkering with things. Um, so if you're someone who likes tinkering, great. Um, you know, sky's the limit as far as the type of boat that you might want to get. It can be a bit overwhelming though, if you do get into an older boat that has not been maintained and now you're looking at you know, replacing core and wood and fiberglass and stuff like that. So uh, with like any other project, you need to be able to draw the line somewhere and say, okay, this is as far as I'm going to go. I'm going to get this all kind of waterproofed and slap it all together so it's good enough so I can get out sailing. Um, In previous episodes, I have talked about kind of um, doing too much maintenance and having the maintenance overtake you're sailing basically. So you can get to a point where you are doing too much maintenance and you're not out there having fun. So 
draw a line somewhere, but if you are willing to put in some elbow grease and you are willing to roll up your sleeves, learn some new things, put in a bit of maintenance, there's definitely a much larger pool of boats available to you. A lot of boats here in Canada were built in the 70s and 80s before a big boat crash. And then after that, um, not a lot of boats were created after that. So um, a lot of boats are from that vintage. So Spindrift, for instance, is 1980. So she's a 42-year-old gal and she's doing great. And I just did a, a major overhaul. Um, and that's kind the kind of overhaul that you do every, you know, 20 years or something. So the work that I just put in is hopefully going to have her last another, you know, 20 to 40 years again, hopefully. Um, if you are somebody who is not really interested in doing any kind of maintenance or putting in any elbow grease to fix up a boat, there are still definitely boats for you as well, but you might be looking more at the newer boat market, looking at Beneteau's, Genoa's, kind of some of the newer newer um, boats that are available out there, um, and you're definitely going to be paying more for it. But again, if that's what you want, if you want a plug and play boat where you can just basically head out to the sunset and start sailing, then definitely uh, that is available to you as well. So um, depending on what you want to get into, there are lots and lots of options out there. So I'm going to do a bit of a recap here as to what we talked about. So when you're looking at purchasing your first boat, first question, what type of sailing do I want to do? Do I want to race, cruise, camp, whatever? What kind of crew do I have available to me and how often? Uh, what kind of area am I going to be sailing in? Are you looking at tidal areas? Do you have a lot of winds? Um, is Are there any kind of natural hazards in the area that are going to make sailing a little bit more challenging. Uh, you want to take a look at the amenities that you have available in your area. So what type of anchorages do you have around? That's one that I don't know that it'd be talked about, but if you're going to get into boat camping, you're definitely going to want to make sure that you've got some sweet anchorages available to you. Um, what type of yacht clubs do you have? sailing clubs are you going to be putting the boat out on a mooring pin how are you going to make sure that that pin is secure and in good shape every year make sure you identify the pin and the boat and also how are you going to get back and forth and where are you going to store the dinghy to go back and forth um, talking a little bit about uh, boat amenities and putting in some elbow grease so are you a person who is ready to roll up their sleeves and, and put in some work uh, you're going to have a larger pool of boats available to you. If you're not somebody interested in that, you want something that's a bit newer, you might have a few less options and you're going to pay more for it. But plug and play, you can launch your boat and off you go. So, so those are some things to consider. Next week, we are going to continue talking about new boat ownership, things to do uh, prior to purchasing as far as surveys and everything like that. And then things to do after you purchase the boat and kind of some checklists on things that you should be doing monthly, yearly, that kind of thing. Hope you have a great week. I am looking forward to seeing you next week and keep in touch.